It is already episode 32 of Honestly Unbalanced and we've got a treat for you this week. Be in awe of the knowledge of Jules Mitchell. So Jules is a Las Vegas-based yoga teacher, educator and massage therapist. She blends a tradition of yoga with her extensive study in biomechanics to help teachers develop their craft and empower them with education. She regularly contributes to yoga teacher training programs and lead workshops worldwide, balancing the somatic aspects of yoga with the most current exercise science. Bringing the most useful and applicable pieces of science to the yoga community is her passion, even when it invokes a discerning analysis of popular opinions. Her book, Yoga Biomechanics, Stretching Redefined, is now available through Handspring Publishing. And I'm afraid, guys, this podcast is just me. Holly had an emergency operation this week. She's doing good now, but it is just me, I'm afraid. Oh, and while I've got your attention, guys, just a quick one. If you need a new yoga mat, Lifeform is our favorite. We've used them forever and Code the Hustlers gets you a 10% discount. And also, if you're locked down like us on our website, thehustlers.com, you can get a little discount forever, actually, on our online platform. Okay, just head to thehustlers.com. Honestly unbalanced. You were one of the first people I saw, I think who was like professionally using Zoom and you were using break, <laughs> you were using breakout rooms and that just blew my mind. Like I'm tech savvy to a degree. And the moment I saw you using breakout, breakout rooms, I thought, oh shit, that's what I've got to be doing in the future. That petrifies me. Like were, were you an early adopter or did you just teach yourself fast? Um, wow. Was I an early adopter? I, I used Zoom. I've used Zoom for a long time. I've been doing webinars for a while. So I, you, I have used probably every webinar software out there. And my sister works in tech in San Francisco. So ah. I started using Zoom when Zoom became the, the Silicon Valley darling of webinar platforms. So I've been using it for a while. Yeah. And, and how did you, so you found the migration. Well, I guess we, you, weren't, you don't teach that much kind of classes per se. You, just, you teach trainings and intensives and the like. Is that... Yeah, I haven't taught a public class on on any like regular basis since probably 2015. So it's mostly uh, workshops and education. So, so it's been next to no shift for you, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, it has been a shift. I mean, like in the sense that I didn't go to a, a studio or a class, but I did go to studios out in the world. Like I travel, you know, I mean, I, it's been a shift in that sense. Like I wasn't an online teacher before. Um, I just had to move everything to, to online. I did small online things, but I was on, I was on the road half the weekends of the year. Okay. So good amount. What, what's your, I was on the road a lot. do you yeah. prefer, cause I guess it depends on different people's personality type. Do you prefer teaching from home? The idea being, cause I know you work so hard and write so much and probably really benefit from being in your office. So are you preferring this or do you miss people a little bit? This is such a funny question because while I was traveling so much, all I could say was I just need to stop traveling because I would, you know, for me to, to run a webinar or run an online course, which I, I, I always did both, but I would be, you know, take so much work on the back end to set it all up. And I would just need, I needed more computer hours when I was traveling so much. What was lit, what was missing was I needed more screen time. Everyone's complaining about too much screen time, and I was like, I need more screen <laughs> time uh, because airplanes don't have reliable enough Wi-Fi to get anything substantial for business done, right? Hang so, on, hang on, just rewind. Do you, do, you, do you have do you have Wi-Fi? Do you have Wi-Fi on planes in America? I've never encountered that. Is that oh, a thing? Yeah, I use Wi-Fi all the time. Oh, but okay. you can't like <laughs> upload you can't upload high quality images to a PowerPoint presentation. Like no. you can maybe check your calendar and send an email. Attachments, forget it. But so anyway, so all this time traveling and a lot of international travel and all this time teaching live, eight hours a day, and you know, back and forth, needed more screen time. 
well, now I have more screen time. <laughs> and now I want nothing more than to get back on an airplane <laughs> and have unreliable Wi-Fi and have an excuse to read a novel instead of answer email and create PowerPoints. It's just really funny. I'll never say those words again. I need to travel less. <laughs> do, do you find, though, that you've attracted more students? Because I actually, I was going to do the training with you maybe two years ago. I really wanted to do one of your trainings. And it was just... Time to get to like Las Vegas. It was just going to be impossible for me. Whereas I guess you know that's probably not just me. I'm sure there's lots of people that, due to time or money, etc., couldn't make it out to see you. So are you finding that you're getting more popular, or at least your sessions are more in demand? You know, I don't think I don't think my numbers have increased any. So like an average, like 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 an average three-day continuing education course in the last year has been around 25 people. And that's what would happen when I, you know, come to Reading and do a, a workshop. We'd have around 25 people, yeah. you know, so that's what the room could fit. You know? And so I, I don't think it's, inc I think, I think it's, I was so international before that I just think it was like, what was, what was different was that, all those 25 people came from the same area. Now I think those uh, people have, cause now they can choose not just the one workshop where I'm coming to them, they can choose from all of my workshops. And so now a workshop has roughly the same people, but I'll have people from all over the world in a single workshop. And I guess to some degree as well, you've got a lot more competition. I guess not doing what you do, cause what you do is quite niche but people can literally join any workshop anywhere in the world with any teacher they any like continuing education at any time. Yeah. But I don't even consider that competition. Like that's, I don't think like, I don't look at it that way. I, you know, people have more choices. Yes. Mm. People definitely have more choices and can do all kinds of other interesting things. Um, but I just, I feel like there was just kind of this momentum and the momentum didn't really shift much for me. It was kind of already there. Mm. Uh, and the only thing I think is that I have just, now I have a, a, a more uh, diverse time zone. <laughs> you know, I have people from all over the world, uh, which I never had in one setting. I'd have to go to them yeah. and be in their time zone. So that's really what's only that's changed. And in terms of competition, like I think actually that I agree that maybe they're not direct competition because what you do is quite particular. That is quite, how would you describe to people that haven't come across you, like how you teach yoga, your method, or what you lead in these workshops? Um, I use, you know, physics and biomechanics and science and res like scientific literacy, like being able to tease out what research means. Um, I use that to help people become critical about the way they teach yoga. Mm. So it's really different in that I, I'm not like trying to provide a script. I'm not trying to tell people what I think about the pose, or I'm not trying to tell people what I think the right thing is. I, I help people think about for themselves what it is that they're teaching and what the pose means and why they're teaching it. And I think that's, um, that's a little bit different than what people are used to. People are used to going to a teacher and saying, what about this? And they get an answer. When yeah. You come to me and say, what about this? You get a smile, a nod, and then you get a question. And then more, um, and, and <laughs> more, very more, Socratic, I more, guess. Question, more questions and answers uh -huh. by the end of it. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, for... and I, I acknowledge your thought, you know, it's like a, yeah, that's a really good thing to consider. <laughs> and I like, let you be with that for a minute. And to what degree do you think you drive some of your students like neurotic? <laughs> drive them neurotic? Um, you know, I'm sure all of them. Uh, some of them enjoy that feeling, and so they stick around for a long time. I've mm. got some very loyal students, and some of them don't like that feeling. They're not ready for that. They just want to be told how to teach. They've got other things on their mind, and then they find another teacher, and that's also great. But it it can be a real burden, can't it? To ask, like, I'm someone that is really like ever questioning, like much to like my Holly's annoyance as well. Sometimes, like, just a lot. I need to know why, 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 why. And my teaching style changes based on evidence that presented to me each year, and the way I teach poses changes depending on the bodies I see. And sometimes it does get too much. Like I was sitting down on the sofa, thinking, "What? Why did I say that in Badakanasana? 
And but and why don't I apply that to a seated foot? And, and then I just my mind just wanders, and then suddenly I'm questioning everything. And it is actually a little bit draining, and can potentially for some people really knock their confidence. So let's say new teachers yeah. that have just done a 200 hour training and they read an article by you that is one of, you know, a strong article by you. How, what, what would be like your advice to them in terms of coping with the fact, let's say they're a new teacher who just got a skirting of yoga knowledge on a 200 hour training mm-hmm. and they see some of the stuff you write that is quite advanced and quite strong. How would you advise them to kind of cope with that that just that in general well teach i should teach what they know so it's like i don't know there's no you can you get very existential about all of this like (laughs) there's no like it's fine it's fine it's fine teach what they've been taught it it might change but it doesn't you don't have you can't know it all now like even like even in a three-day course of mine like i always make this kind of analogy from the matrix movie because my first like the first hour, all I do is confuse everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's like the first, you know, and everyone's like, wait, what? Everything, you know, but, and I'm like, this is, let the course play itself out. It's eight, it's an 18 hour course. I can't, unless it was the matrix and I could download my brain into the back of your neck with a plug, you know, that you, you have to let the 18 hours unfold. And so it's the same thing with a new teacher. You can't become a new yoga teacher and have 20 years of experience. It's just not possible. Mm. You know, there's something called time. I mean, you could argue that philosophically, but let's just, let's all like, agree <laughs> that there's something called time. You know? And so you have to like, you have to play that game and let it evolve. So like, there's no, nobody's, nobody's judging you for being a new teacher. And if they are, then you should move on. You know, like I'm not judging you for being a new teacher. I'm excited you're a new teacher and I'm excited for your 20 year journey of thinking you know things and then being wrong and then learning new things. So so if you're like, it, you know, it's okay. Your students will be fine. All the students that you had, Adam, when you were a first teacher and you don't say any of those things anymore, they're, they're living happy, healthy lives. They're fine, you know? <laughs> I think like that's the most important thing to remember. This journey of inquiry is only if, if it only if you want it you don't mm. nobody's for, forcing you to do it you know yeah i'm i'm a firm view that y- yoga can be harmful as most things can be running is harmful in some sense but it's far better <laughs> that people do some yoga than do no yoga on the in the grand scheme of things although it can be harmful in certain ways but are there any no go things for you are there any things you see teachers doing that you're like no don't do that no debate <laughs> don't do that no really i think the yoga is harmful narrative that's been happening over the last decade is is the harmful part oh really um you know i i i think it's been i I mean i I acknowledge that that some people have experienced injuries but also you know n equals one is not a good study i don't know maybe some of those teachers who've got hip replacements maybe if they'd been you know, Olympic lifters, they would have also had hip replacements. Mm. Or if they've been sedentary, they would have also had hip. Like we don't, it's really hard to know. And when you look, when you really look at, at the research on, on, you know, yoga and safety, and I'm I'm actually coming up doing a webinar in, in April about that, but that's another topic. But when you really, I mean, think of all the things that you're like the, the loads that you're imparting on your body like in, in all activities in the entire world, like where does yoga fit on that? It's, you know, like mm. <laughs> it's not, you know, I mean like hopscotch has higher loads than, than most <laughs> yoga poses, but nobody's going around saying hopscotch is so dangerous. We should not let, you know, so I'm just like, it, it's contextual. And I think when we, when the, the yoga is harmful conversation lacks nuance and context. Um, and I wonder, yeah, of course, I, we can be extremist with all kinds of things, but I wonder if people use it in some sense as kind of a marketing strategy. In that, yoga can be harmful, but not my yoga. Come to my, I know, I know. Of it. course, well, <laughs> this is the problem. I mean, you know, I, this is capitalism. You know, we talk about this in actually my mentoring program a lot because people are trying to like come up with some programs, and you know, it's it's much easier to sell. This is bad for you, but I'm going to show you how to do it right. It's mm. way easier to sell that than to sell. You'll be fine. Everything's okay. 
<laughs> you know, like that doesn't like that doesn't incite. Be like, oh, well, then what do I need this for if I'll be fine? You know, so so I think there's there's that. That's a big aspect of it. And I'm not denying, I, just to be clear, I'm not denying people's real experiences with harm and yoga. I'm, that's not. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying there, there's a context for that experience. And when we just make sweeping generalizations, uh, we're not acknowledging those contexts yeah and it's it's completely hard to control all variables isn't it you can't Un unless someone yeah. is willing to invest millions of pounds in a long-term study on, mm -hmm. on many people get some identical twins or like and, you and like and i i mean i had personal i had personal injuries in yoga like mm. this whole path for me started because i was trying to resolve yoga yoga injuries i'm using air quotes um and, and what's so fascinating about it is after about a decade of research and study, my opinion changed. So I set out to prove that yoga, yoga is harmful. That was like, that was my goal. And the more I was with it, the more I was with the, the research, the evidence, and started to really learn about tissue mechanics, I completely changed my mind. It didn't happen overnight. I mean, I was banging my head on the wall. I was in tears. I remember looking at research that didn't fit my narrative and throwing it aside because I didn't like it. <laughs> and then like two years later going, oh, <laughs> where's that paper? I, I'm now ready to actually listen to what that paper has to say because I didn't want to hear it before, you know? So, so, so I, my, my, my narrative has changed and now I don't even know that if those were yoga injuries, maybe they were just things that, maybe they were caused by things I wasn't doing instead of things I was doing. You know, there's that, there's that possibility. Mm. And that's kind of the possibility that I, that I prefer. So how um, did, so, you know, my mind is changing. How Go did ahead. you kind of end up, end up where you are? Cause what was, so before this, obviously you're just teaching yoga normally as it were. And did you, <laughs> did you, did you have a career alongside that at the time? Yeah, I was a nightclub bartender. <laughs> oh, okay. I was a nightclub bartender for almost two decades. Um, no, it, my my history is a little interesting. I um, my father was an engineer and my mother uh. was a university professor, and both were very sick in my twenties. So I was their primary caretaker for for a long time. Hence the bartending and the yoga and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I was always in school, so I'd studied engineering. My 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 undergrad was uh, my minor was in mathematics. So I had a, I had a big background in in math and physics and engineering. Uh, and I was teaching yoga because I liked it. And it was, it after my mother passed, it actually helped me as a person uh, move on. So there was all of that, uh, all of that. And then when, when both parents passed, I had a clearing to go to graduate school. So I was like, well, I've been teaching yoga. I, you know, I'm, I'm always in school. I'm going to do something in the kinesiology realm. And I walked into the Dean's office and uh, she looked at my resume or transcript and said to me, oh, we're putting you in biomechanics. I didn't even know what biomechanics was. I was like, what? She's like, well, you look at, you have all this math and physics. All of our students struggle because they have biology and a little chemistry, but math and physics is hard, you know, <laughs> and they don't have this. And so you're a perfect candidate. And I was like, all right, fine, whatever. I'm sitting in my first biomechanics class and the instructor is like making charts and graphs and and there's formulas on how tendons behave under load and i'm literally like my mouth is hanging open <laughs> i'm an adult in graduate school by the way so i'm in my 30s and i'm around a bunch of 20 year olds who are sleeping and i'm like looking around going can you believe this can you believe this you know i'm totally interested nobody's interested and so i was like oh i'm in the right place but i didn't know when i was an engineering student in my early 20s that i would apply it to biology, you know, a decade yeah. later or a decade and a half later. I had no plan for that. So it just kind of was the way it unfolded for me. And did you start to apply that to your yoga teaching from day one almost? Oh yeah. And I applied it horribly. Ah. <laughs> I was I, I, I misapplied it. I, I, I it was awful. Um, I, I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know how to use words anymore. I was like, you know, I, I, I had to cultivate it. And the best part is that all of those, all of those misapplications are all recorded and online in perpetuity. Just <laughs> 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 go to Udaya. <laughs> but you know, uh -huh. that's like, that's what happened. I was teaching online and I was changing the way I was teaching and it was 
It's there for everybody to witness. And ca- that can be so frustrating. As a teacher that teaches online, when you teach something and it comes out later, and or you see oh, it, or, or you see it later, you're like, oh, oh, I shouldn't know. I don't even care. It's just what I, I, I don't care because I was. That's me at the time. Yeah, it's real. Well, but you want to date stamp don't it, don't like, you? You want, you want to do a little date stamp in the corner. This well, is... <laughs> that's, what I, that's what's important. So what I don't like is when a student comes to me and says, I was watching this class on Udaya. Uh, what did you mean by this? And I'm like, that class was filmed in 2014. I don't know. I, I don't remember. I don't remember saying it. I, I have to watch it. You know, like, I don't... And, like, look at the context. Please don't come to me and ask me about something I said in 2014 because, like... You have to recognize that. In my blogs, it's the same thing. I haven't written a blog in five years and people are still sharing my blogs. And I'm like, those are kind of old. <laughs> like, look at the date. <laughs> you know? mm. It's funny. And that's what people don't want. People don't want the nuance, do they? They don't want the nuance kind no. of looking in at where, okay, no. who wrote this? How, yeah. Can I read the whole article? Or am I going to yeah. read the headline or the synopsis at the end? People, yeah. people often don't, don't want to say, I wonder how Jules has changed since she wrote this. I wonder how, I wonder what she would say today. You know, they, that's part of the, Anytime you read anything, it, it exists in a moment in time and it changes. So. So, so what advice would you give? So when people get new knowledge from any teacher training, when they're given the gift of knowledge or, you know, from a training like yours, which is maybe quite different to what they've learned previously, what advice would you give about people then interact, like integrating that into their teaching? Slow and steady. Uh, it's, it's, I give this <laughs> advice all the time. I say, when you go back to teach your class on Monday, don't change anything. Mm. <laughs> you have to be with the material. If you go to a weekend workshop and you see something cool and you teach it on Monday, you don't understand it. You're just parroting. You're just commenting on something that you saw and repeating. So I'm, I'm more, I teach what you normally teach, but have that new knowledge in the back of your mind, because that's where the change occurs is that now you're saying, oh, that's so interesting. Why do I always say feet hip distance apart? Mm. Like I say that now you're getting present to things that you you didn't even thought about saying. You just, you said it, you learned in your 200 hour feet hip distance apart or or heel to arch alignment or something. You learned a, a cue and you just say it. You spew it out without even thinking about it. But now you come to a workshop, you learn some new stuff. You don't just say, oh, we're gonna try it different today. Now you, you still teach what you taught yesterday. It's fine. It's not invalidated. But now suddenly you're looking and you're like, huh, what I learned this weekend doesn't really match with my words. I wonder, And then you can take it home and think about it. And then you evolve as a teacher in your voice, mm. not in somebody else's voice. And yeah. that's what I think it's, you're, you're, you have a powerful influence over your students um, in, in their experience is when you can you know, be an authentic teacher in that way. And did you did you learn that the hard way? Was there ever a point in your yoga teaching when you were the stereotypical yoga teacher? Just another oh, just oh, another one in Luna Lemon. Oh, I <laughs> go to a workshop and teach the exact same class the next day. And I don't mind that. Like I, I'm not saying that that's like that's not it's not the worst thing to do. I'm not judging you if you do that. All my classes that are online, everybody who's listening, you're all welcome to take that sequence and teach it. What I ask is that you think about it. <laughs> mm. You know, what I ask is that you put it into a context of, of why did she say this and how would I say it different? And and that I think that is something that is missing in a lot of teacher training. It's like teachers aren't taught to question and teachers often aren't taught how to sequence. Like I, I've met, I, I teach a sequencing program online and, you know, I've met many people that have come to it and most of them have come to it because at no point on their training have they learned how to put a sequence together. They're, they're taught, this or is, a, this, is a, this is the way to sequence. Yeah, or, or, or what, just, this is a sequence, go away and teach that. And, and there's no, and come back in a year and let's learn how to actually put a sequence. It's just, here's a sequence for you and then make the rest up as you go along. There's no critical thought involved in that. In that. Yes, and I'll, I, I'm going to extend that even further and say, who's to say that this is the way to sequence? And so like in my trainings, like, like, I don't tell you how to sequence, but I ask you questions about your sequence. And if you can't validate it, then it's not a good sequence, but it doesn't have to be the way I would sequence it, Mm. but I want to know why you did it that way. And does that, is that way, is that, does that way make sense? Or did you just make it up? 
I'll always, I'll, I'll always remember a student who was doing a homework assignment and I asked, why did you put warrior two right here? And she, her answer was go big or go home. That's not an answer. <laughs> you know, like that's not the answer I was looking for. I wanted to know why you put like, are you teaching at, because people have different, this is the problem with, not the problem, but the, the difficulty, the challenge with yoga, you know, not everybody teaches yoga from a, a musculoskeletal standpoint. You can mm. teach yoga from a, a visceral standpoint, you know, is that like, so it, it, there's so you could, you know, some yoga isn't even asana. You could teach yoga from the perspective of the breath. You could teach this. So I don't, I don't want to be like, this is how, hello everyone. This is the way Jules Mitchell sequences. And this is how you should sequence. I'm more interested in what's your intention. Why are you sequencing it this way? And, and, and does it match with any sort of logical sequence <laughs> that makes sense with what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish? And that's hard. You know, people don't like that. <laughs> so you, do, you, do you ever teach sequences to open your heart? <laughs> <They're> no. Like, <laughs> no. Tell me about your, your journey in terms of, so you, you know, you did your training, you did more education at a higher level, you started to integrate that, you know, now you're, you know, fairly well-respected, internationally known teacher with, you know, with a strong niche, you are one of the authorities on kind of yoga and biomechanics, etc. How did you establish yourself as that? Lots of hard work. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of hard work. I mean, I work all day. Doing I that work all day and all night. So whether it was reading or researching or writing or teaching or programming or web designing or, you know, I'm, I, I work all day and all night. So was that the aim? Was that the intention? So at some no. point you thought I'm going to put everything no. I can to make. Okay. So what was the, what was the plan? I can't help myself. <laughs> Honestly, like it sounds completely, I, 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 I can't help it. it my, I'm the daughter of an engineer and a university professor like that, that and they're no longer with us. Uh, they died very young. And so I like, that's my Dharma. Like I'm stepping into, I'm stepping into this appreciation for physics and continuing education and scientific literacy without choice. Like it's, you know, I wish they were here to, to, for me to interact with, but the only way I'm interacting with them is by living into yeah. their, you know, their, uh, so I didn't, I never, I never once said, this is my, I never once had a business plan goals it's just i can't help myself it's just what i like to do <laughs> but there is but there is one there's one element of, of of what you just said which is the learning the academia the wanting more knowledge but then there's the other element of turning that into something that brings money into you and was that part just something that came naturally or did you think i i don't only want to know stuff i want to share it and i want this to be my business well i i, I want to teach people yeah you know i mean i've always been a teacher i mean when i was a nightclub bartender I would, I would host like twice a year, I would host um, liquor, liquor education programs for the waitresses because it drove me nuts that the cocktail waitresses didn't know the difference between <laughs> Belvedere and Grey Goose. And I would host, literally, I'd bring them in on a, on a Sunday morning and I, I would do this whole thing and had, give handouts and, and the details on how many times it's been distilled and what country it's from and what makes a tequila a tequila and like, you know, what's the difference between a reposado and a yeho? Like, and they, they loved it because I get excited about what I teach about. And so I was like getting waitresses like stoked on their liquor knowledge, which, you know, when they started the job, they didn't think that was what was going to be a part of it. So I, that's what I mean. I can't help myself. Like mm -hmm. I learned something cool. I can't help but want to tell people. And fortunately, people want to know the stuff that I've learned. So that's just, you know, and the, and this is my reasoning is because I, I, I am one of you. I'm a yoga teacher. So I think it kind of was, it, it's not like I was an academic who, or a physio who like brought that knowledge into yoga and like looked down on everyone with my, my amazing academic knowledge. It's like the, the narrative that I deliver was born out of, being in the trenches as a yoga teacher with everybody else that's learning from me now. Does that make sense? So like, yeah. I know the questions that they have because I had them. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, I, I know before they open their mouth, I'm like, I know what you're going to ask because I had the same question. So I think it's just a lot of, a lot of events kind of happening together um, as well as me just understanding, 
you know, my market, if you want to say that. Yeah. And do you think, so you are clearly a natural educator. Do you think that can be taught? I think it can be honed. I mean, this is the, the nature versus nurture question, mm. you know, um, we, you know, we, you, you can't escape your DNA, uh, but you can do things to, you know, improve, you know, or high jumpers, do high jumpers have stiff Achilles or do they develop stiff Achilles? You know, are they born with it? So it's like, it's kind of both. So I think, I think you can definitely hone the skill of being a teacher and an educator, but I think to some people it will just come more naturally. Because your book, I've read your your book's wonderful. What's an, is, it's yoga and biomechanics. What's the name of it? Just name drop the book a second. Yoga, biomechanics, stretching, redefined. You write in a very natural way. Like it doesn't feel like you're reading a textbook or an academic journal. It's clearly full no. of knowledge, and you're you're as a reader, okay, you're learning heavy stuff, mm-hmm. but it feels light to some degree. Mm-hmm. Was this you or was this editors? Was that the intention behind that it? That was me. That was all you. That was me. Yeah. I had no editing help. Um, I, I had, my, my publisher didn't help much with editing. I did have a, a writing coach who helped with editing, um, but not with the voice. Like that, that, that voice was on me. It was very important for me to crack jokes that many people may or may not have gotten and give a little insight. You know, I think I even have a, a, an, an analogy and they're using a layered shot from my bartending days, you know, yeah. like I think, you know, so I, it was very important to me to have a human uh, voice behind the, I don't know, that heavy narrative. Cause it is, it, it's a lot of physics. It's a lot of science. So we've, we've kind of tracked a little path to success there as it were. You know, so yeah, internationally teaching multiple trainings, a book. Is there a second book coming out? Is that on the card? Not right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few ideas, but it was such an undertaking, to be honest. And I just, I, yeah, I'm still teaching the contents out of this book. Yeah. So it's, I'm not, I'm not out of ideas. But my question, I guess, with that, so, so much success, as it were, like from, you know, from, from from the outside. From the outside, were there any slip-ups on that journey? Oh my God, so many. <laughs> I mean, so many. I mean, I was in school for 20 years. Let's just acknowledge that. You know? <laughs> I mean, I I was I was in school for a long time. Um, I I moved during writing my book. I moved four times in the last five years oh. while writing my book. I had a relationship fall, a 10-year relationship fall apart, which caused one of those moves. I had to leave all my stuff in storage. I wrote my book in my sister's basement while my car was in a different city with a friend. And like, you know, I mean, it was not easy. Um, not at all. Um, and what? I, you know, work every night till 10, 11, sometimes midnight. God, you know, not that... every night, but that's common for me. You know, my book was written between 3 p.m. and midnight. And what kind of coping strategies did you have to get through any of that? Was, like, was there a, like a regular yoga practice or meditation that got you through? Was it making cocktails? <laughs> no, definitely wine. I do like to drink wine. Um, I don't know my relationship with my sister. Uh, that was huge. Um, I, I go for a lot of walks, long mm. walks. Um, it sounds really weird. I just like, I, I take baths. This sounds crazy. I rarely take a shower. I take baths oh, really? almost, almost exclusively. And and I don't sit around and soak for a long time, but when I get in the bathtub, it's like all of a sudden my creative, everything starts flowing and I can't wait to get out because I can't wait to start. Like, it, I, like I need a notepad. I need like a waterproof notepad in the tub. So usually that's kind of my, I just get inspired um, and it's very soothing for me. Um, and of course I have a regular yoga practice that doesn't look, look like, you know, 90 minute vinyasa flow class in any way. Um, but I have a home studio and a rope wall and kettlebells and every yoga prop you can imagine. So yes, that's a big part of it. Um, but most of my kind of home practice is very exploratory, you know, is like, what do I want to say about this? Or what do I feel when I do this? Um, what would be your advice to people that are scared of getting on the mat at home? Like they can only get on a mat in a studio with a statue of Ganesha in the front of the room and candles on the side. What would you advise them to? And they think, I guess a lot of my students think to get on the mat at their home, you know, they need to do a 75 minute vinyasa practice. They need to do what I would teach them in their living yeah, room. No. So what would you, no. what, what would be the advice you have to people actually getting on the mat at home? If you're really, if you're not looking for like a lead practice, which I get 
trust me, I love a lead practice because I, this is my work. I don't want to work every single time I get on the mat. Mm. Sometimes I just want to be told what to do. I love a lead practice. Even if it has, even if it's not at all the way I would teach, I love it. It's even better if it's not the way I would teach. You know, it's like I, I, any, any practice, there's not a yoga class I haven't enjoyed. Sometimes I kind of chuckle a little to myself, but I still love it, you know? Um, so that to me is a lead practice is not a home practice. A home practice is about inquiry. So pick a pose and go do it. Mm. <laughs> like, I mean, it's that simple, you know, pick a pose and go do it. And what do you notice and what do you observe? And is there a way you want to do it differently? And, and is there, you know, is there a way that you can get more out of it? And where are you, where, where are you trying to make your get your where are you trying to feel the pose and mm. if you if you change your hand position in this back bend do you feel it more where you want to feel it and how's how are you breathing while you're in the pose and that, that's your practice there you go you're done one pose i often say that to my students a sign for me of an advanced asana practice is that it takes you longer to get into a pose like warrior two mm-hmm. maybe you know the first few years of yoga you're kind of making shapes and you kind of increasingly throw yourself into the pose. But then suddenly you start to, you know, the work at the detail, what's happening there, what's happening there in that pose. And it becomes consuming. And people often say that takes away from the spiritual side of things and the quietening of the minds. And I really think it adds to it. Because I think when you're question, like questioning and exploring for 90 minutes, your mind often has been still. For those night, to some degree, you haven't been traveling forwards or backwards in time. The internal narrative has just been around what's happening in the body. And I think that can be a very spiritual experience to some degree. Yeah. And what, yeah, what are your thoughts on that, on spirituality in an asana practice? Oh, boy, spirituality. Um, that's tough because everybody defines spirituality differently. Mm. Um, you know, my spiritual practice is really more of a philosophical practice, I would say, Mm. you know, my, my, so it's hard for me to decide for someone what, what is spiritual for them. So the only thing I can do is teach my understanding of it, which is philosophical. And in many times that's anatomical. The best anatomy teachers I've ever had are philosophers. Mm. I consider anatomy a study of philosophy. I consider mathematics a study of philosophy. How can you study math without being a philosopher? The concept of infinity, for example, for something to be infinite, which you use in mathematics, using calculus, for something to be infinite, you have to philosophically grasp that idea because you can't see it. You can't touch it. <laughs> mm. So, so to me, that's that's my kind of brand of spirituality, and it shows up in my book, like the awe of the physical world and the awe of scientific knowledge and the 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 unknown. And so, to me, and you know, if I'm teaching asana, I'm teaching the, the this anatomical, philosophical approach. Uh, what is breathing? <laughs> um, and so, there are ways many other types of spirituality that you can inject into a yoga practice. But if I did that, it wouldn't be authentic. So mm. I, I, I stick, stick with what I'm, what, uh, you know, what and, I know. And my view, at least for me, is I like to leave it open so the students can have their own, they can, they can have a spiritual practice in what that means to them. Mm-hmm. But I think by, by trying to incorporate some essence of spirituality through the physical observation of the body, you do leave it a little bit open. Yeah. And, and people... And then you just have to be quiet. Yeah. Just... And, you know, and give them the opportunity. Like, I think that's, you know, when you're saying like, what do you, what do you advise with teachers? Like, that's another thing I say is, is when you are done with this weekend and you go teach, just pick one thing you always say and don't say it. Mm. It doesn't need to be said. Your students are going to be fine. They're still going to do the pose. And now you're giving them that space to have their own, whatever spiritual discovery, whatever that is, and, and inject what they want into the practice. Quiet's very scary, isn't it? As a new teacher. And I think mm-hmm. teachers fill it with either just fluff or explaining everything they know about every single pose mm-hmm. or pop music. <laughs> One of those things. Lots of fluff or pop music to fill silence. Mm-hmm. But the, the value of it isn't. What's your philosophers that you turn to? Is it, are you like Bertrand Russell? Are they either kind of mathematical philosophers you incorporate? Um, I don't actually, just math in itself. I don't read yeah. any mathemat- mathematical philosophers. Um, I just, I take math courses. I just recently for fun, 
took um, Euclidean and non-Euclidean geometry. So oh, wow. here we are. Here we are having a discussion on day one. I just took it at the local university online, of course. But here we are on day one talking about parallel lines. Well, Euclidean geometry says that there's only one parallel line to any other line. Well, hyperbolic ge geometry says there's an infinite number of parallel lines. Okay, <laughs> so now how do you reconcile that? So, like, you don't have to read philosophy to, like, sit with that for a minute. And then spherical geometry says there's no parallel lines. So how do you reconcile these three phenomena that there's either one, none, or an infinite amount in the physical world? And so you can just sit with it, <laughs> you know? And then you can start, I was this morning, I was in an anatomy lab and somebody that was presenting had talked about the hyperbolic shape that is made by the internal and the external obliques. And so now I'm like, all right. So now we've got these, we've got these muscle fibers running in parallel lines, but we've got this infinite amount of parallel lines to any, any line. And it's, you just go, and now I have stuff to think about. How, how do you, how would you, uh, number one, how would you manage your headspace? A like coffee must feature maybe. Uh, but then how would you also manage time? Like, of course you're doing all your you know, promoting, you're fi like teaching physically. There was time dedicated to that. You are writing stuff but then also have the time for not only reading, but actually going on to courses. Like how, what is your strategy to I'm time management? Time. I don't have enough time. <laughs> like, do you have like multiple calendar software? What's going on? Um, I have a lot of lists. I have uh, probably 50 lists. Uh, everything is calendared, yes. Um, I have lots of stacks. I'm very, I, I'm organized. I organize a lot. I spend probably an hour or two every day organizing. So, oh. um, but yeah, I mean, you wonder why I lost, uh, why a relationship ended while writing my book. <laughs> I'm not easy to hang around with. <laughs> the question's like, when are you going to be done? Uh, uh, don't ask me that. <laughs> so I guess that is a, a lead on question is, what costs have there been for success, as it were, uh, beyond financial investment in courses, like what have you have you had to sacrifice to build well, what you have? I mean, I you know I'm single and have no children. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but I'm happy that way. So is it a cost? Is it a sacrifice? Like mm. you know, I, these are deliberate choices. Um, you know, I have a huge amount of student loan debt because you know in the U.S. how that goes. So I will be paying those off forever. That will, you know, I don't think people realize how that. much, it's how much of a degree in America, like a, a three year, I guess, I forget what you call it into, but we would in the UK it would just be a degree that you do, let's say from the age of 18 to 21, and you come out mm -hmm. as a, you know, as a lawyer or like, That's a, well, the first degree would be an undergraduate, something okay. like a lawyer would be a graduate degree. Okay. You know? And how and much then, would that cost? Uh, it depends on the university that you go to. It depends on, you know, you can go for relatively, I don't know. I mean, you can go maybe $20,000 to $150,000. <gasps> it just depends. So, but my, my, I, my schooling has not just been, you know, there was undergrad and then there was graduate school. And then there was, I was at the university the entire time in between, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I like, like I, like I've studied, I just, I just, I'm, I took a university course just this last semester. Like I'm always in school if I can help it. I it's, just like the academic environment. So. But that is, I like what you said before about everything being a deliberate choice. Not, nothing happened to you, is it? Well, of course, of course, you don't have no. control of everything. Lots but it, happened. But, but yeah, yeah, but it didn't, it didn't just happen. You make it, you had a conscious life direction or at least you were doing the things that you wanted to do. And that is so important because I think if, people- I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a plan, but every day I had a direction. Yes. You know, it was like, every, like I wanted to study engineering. And then one day I decided I didn't want to study engineering because I was studying civil engineering and I was showing up into the, in the classroom in a cloud of perfume with eyeshadow. And there were all these like smelly boy engineers in the class. And, and I was, I was like, I don't think I want to wear a hard hat and, you know, and do engineering. Mm. And then I stopped, but 20 years later, 15 years later, those courses led me, you know, so like I, I wanted to do it and then I didn't want to do it. So it doesn't matter to me that some people might say, oh, you failed it to be an engineer. No, I studied all the things I wanted to until I didn't want to anymore. And then guess what? They were useful down the road. Mm. Imagine that. I didn't plan for that. They just were.
So my, what, uh, my very first degree in uh, my undergrad was in women's studies. Like, what, what do you do with women's studies? Well, it turned out to be very practical. You know, I, I, I work in an industry where a lot of the lead teachers are men. It, you know, it's been very useful for me to have a background in, in women's studies and gender studies when I was 18, 19, 20. It was yeah. very formative for me. I, I rely on those skills every day, even though I don't work in women's studies. What kind of advice would you give to people who, like, let's say, want to be yoga teachers? Not, I'm not going to say for the wrong reasons, but let's say they they've just decided that's a life they want as a yoga teacher, rather than it being the direction of travel for them in terms of they have a real desire to teach yoga. They kind of want the life of a yoga teacher, and I think that's sometimes how people choose their career now. Just what create what from social media or like seems to be the nicest lifestyle i'm going to just choose that what would be your advice to people going into well, yoga or any other industry to be honest and how they stay i guess alert to intention i don't know now you're asking me to be a life coach that's <laughs> tough <laughs> i mean it you know when i was a bartender I loved it and it was fulfilling. Mm. So I don't necessarily think like, I don't, I don't know how someone determines what's right for them. I didn't decide one day, have this dream. I didn't watch the 1980s Tom Cruise movie, watching cocktail and saying, I want to be a bartender. <laughs> you know? Like I just, I was literally in my apartment and I was swimming. I was in college and undergrad and I was swimming in the pool at my apartment. And there was a, 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 a like neighbors were hanging out and one of them was a bar manager, a nightclub manager. And he was like, Hey, you want a job? And I took it. And then I just excelled at it because I cared. Yeah. So, so I don't know that it, that, you know, I think some people just are looking for things to pass time. And I think maybe that's where the unfulfillment comes. It's mm. not that it's not the right job. It's just like, I don't know. You just said you, but you just said it yourself there. You cared. You find the thing that you care about. Or when you're doing it, you re you think, or you think, yeah. can I care about it? And if you can't care about then it, then you probably away. need to jump. Yeah, yeah. do something yeah. else. And I cared about bartending for a very long time. And then I didn't care and I left and then I missed the money and I went back and I lasted two weeks. I was like, oh yeah, this I don't is care. why I don't do this anymore. Uh, and you know, the, the, the money wouldn't make up for it. I lived, but I forgot I, I was gone. I was out of the industry about six months and I was like, ah, oh, I missed this cash. So I went back in and literally on first day, I was like, like, that's not the right reason to do this job. How is it um, such good you money? You're a teacher for, for the money, then you're also not in the right no, industry. No, no, no. Thing. <laughs> how is how is bartending such good money in America? Like, is that for tips? Yeah. And were you in, was it quite like a posh bar that you're in where people tipped well? I worked in nightclubs. Okay. Think of like nightclubs in Las Vegas. So like, you know, it was... It was very physical, like, you know, four deep, you're taking multiple orders, you're yelling at people, you know, it's like, like music and lights flashing. Uh, it was very high volume. I worked in very high volume. And, and tipping, of course, is a normal. Yeah, because yeah. I used to run a bar as well years ago when I was maybe 21 post uni as like a sabbatical year. Mm -hmm. And the money, like in the UK, there is very little tipping at bars, yeah. very, especially, no, especially to a guy. Like I got nothing. Mm -hmm. Ever. It was awful money. A question I, I I would love to ask you is criticism. Like as someone, you put so you put things out there that you have strong opinions on, and you back it up. But undoubtedly, there are other people that could have contradictory opinions. How inevitably, due to the nature of it, I'm sure you have had criticism on articles or like. Uh, often like quick social media criticism as well where people haven't even probably read the article like how do you deal with that do you just post and then ignore or do you interact with people what I don't get involved in social media mm. comments um, you know I, I I might be wrong <laughs> mm. you know I'm just this is I'm, I'm just teaching what I know and somebody might have a different opinion and I am actually that's kind of cool like um, I think there's, I think it's actually really appropriate for you to have a yoga teacher who has one opinion mm. about hyperextension and another teacher who has a different opinion about hyperextension. And then what do you think? So I actually don't mind. I just don't get, get involved in social media because, um, uh, it's a horrible platform. Mm. Um, 
And also like, I just don't have time. I don't have time to argue in a comment thread on my little uh, smartphone. I just <laughs> like, I, you know, that's just not, you want to engage in a, in a dialogue with me, then let's schedule a call and, and mm. have a real dialogue. And also what I find is that what happens most often in social media stuff is that you're, you're, you're using words differently. And so therefore you're never going to agree. And what I find is that most of the most of the people who who say things differently than I do, we're actually saying the same thing. Yeah. But nobody's taking the time to define, you know, this is what this is what you mean by this. This is what I mean by this. This might be your way of saying it. And this is my way of saying it. But actually, they're very congruent. Um, and that can't be done in a comment thread, although I would say maybe it could be, mm. but I don't have the time for it. I think like, in, a, in, in a comment thread as well, right. what I really think tends to happen is people don't even read your answer. No. They, no. they By the time they've read the first sentence, yeah. they're already typing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and, and it's, and it gets lost and it just, be, it, like, it's just not an appropriate for me, like social, you like it, say something nice. You don't like it, move along. Mm. Like, you know, move along. Like. That is not that you're not going to change anyone's mind. You're not like, you know, that's just not the proper way mm. to engage with people if you're trying to, you know, spark debate. My, yeah, my, my policy just in general is ignore, ignore other people unless it's someone whose opinions I really respect. So for instance, yeah. like if, if I always give, the, if you or one of my, te like my teacher, Jason Crandall were in my class, or in fact, you've been in my class mm -hmm. and like, I, I, I hate, not hate it, hate it's wrong. Cause I like you. But like if Jason came to my class, I would absolutely hate it because I really okay. respect his opinion in a sense. So okay. I'd just be consciously like, what's he going to say? He's going to think of this. Uh, and with, with, with you, I think, you know, I thought the same thing. I know because I really respect Jules. I, lo I, you know, I want her to you know, think good things and I want, to, I want her to give feedback, etc. So, yeah, beyond that, I like to ignore people unless it's and I always say this to new teachers, whether someone is giving you good feedback in a class or bad feedback, generally speaking, ignore it. Don't don't be inflated or don't be deflated unless either it's someone you really respect giving you that feedback or it's consistently the same feedback. Like I hate your music. Everyone is saying every week they hate your music. I think generally ignore everything but that. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to please everyone. So uh, with feedback, it's interesting. I always ask for feedback, but I sometimes have a hard time going back to it because I was there. Mm. I know what worked and didn't work. Yeah. Do you know what it is? So like when I go back to it, a lot of times you start, oh, the room was too cold. And now you're, it's just noise. It's just noise. You know, it's like I was there. I know when I lost your attention, I saw mm. it, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like I know it was too much lecture and not enough practice. I could feel the room. Like I was there, you know? Um, but I, you know, I do think it is important to ask for feedback, but mm. yeah, recognize what's noise and mm. what's actually meaningful. And with most feedback, you know, 5% is meaningful. And, yeah. and, and it comes to the point of, do people really even know what you're teaching them to a degree as in, you know, my intention with my physical teaching is to get people to find balance and I want balance physically, which means I want people to balance flexibility and strength, which might mean my classes are either overly hard or I'm really annoying. Like I'm not letting people do the things they want to, or I'm challenging them in new ways. And they might give me the feedback consistently of it's a boring class or it's too hard or it's too technical. But actually, if they came to my class for a year, they would be get so much stronger and so much more stable. So I think you have to take that in consideration with any feedback as well. What are you trying to do? And even if they don't like it, you know you're well, doing something I good mean, for them. You can't control what people want. So that's that. You know, that, like that's there's a there's a, an aspect of where you'd have to be just authentic to your teaching because if they don't like it, then you shouldn't change it to accommodate. No, them. they can find another teacher. So that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of feedback. It can be very useful, um, but a lot of feedback is just noise in people's opinions, and 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 you can't just constantly be adjusting to accommodate everybody's feedback, because you'll never make everybody happy. That's impossible, and mm -hmm. um, and and then that just leads you away from like some of the themes we've been talking about in this in this podcast, like your dharma and mm -hmm. caring, and you know if I cared about pleasing everybody then I wouldn't be able to put my message forward. You know, mm. a, lot of, a lot of people that I actually respect, a lot of my colleagues that I respect, I deliberately don't dive into their work because I worry that if I, if I get too focused on their work, I'll censor myself yeah. if, if it's not in agreement. And I don't want to censor myself. I just want to teach 
what you know what I'm learning and what I'm and, and I want to develop my own narratives and I like to get little tidbits from my colleagues but I want to assimilate it into my own knowledge and if I'm if I'm too into their work and it doesn't match with what I think then maybe I like I wouldn't I, I, I don't know I wouldn't share in that way that's interesting because my friend Trina Trina Altman many listeners probably know her as well but she's kind of the opposite she wants, I don't really want to know who's in my workshop because if I know that you're an <laughs> expert in breathing, then I will censor the way I deliver yes. the material. And so I'd rather just be me and you don't have to agree with me. It's okay. I still love you. And you probably know more about it than I do. And, uh, you know, and if you want to sit down and have a tea and discuss it, that's one thing. But, you know, if you leave me a feedback, everything you said is wrong. I can't take that seriously either. But my friend Trina is the opposite. She wants to know everyone who's in the class because she's kind of like a more of a social. Yeah. Um, so we, we chat about it because she's not wrong and I'm not wrong. It's just really what what's best for you as a teacher and how can you express yourself the best? She's better with knowing the people in the room. I'm better with just brain dumping. <laughs> that's that's really interesting. I never really thought of it in that way. But I, I certainly... I certainly change how I teach. If I know someone is a doctor or if you're in class, you know, like a dia where we all go to each other's classes, I might change our instruction. <laughs> or if there is someone who teaches the style of yoga that I think is very dramatic, like every lunge, I'm like, I'm like mm, you, mm, bring it in. <laughs> you know, I, and you I, you can't help that. But it's uh, it's interesting to see if maybe we can control it. I might try and control that next time I recognize, because in London, I'm constantly getting... Like, half of every class are teachers and i know their background mm -hmm. maybe yeah. some of them you know half of them are new, yeah. new, new teachers but it's interesting we're going to move on to some quick fire ones now holly has sent okay. some quick fire questions okay. to you uh, okay so something you wish you had known sooner oh something i wish i would have known sooner um i think i would have Jeez, that's that's hard. It's definitely something academic. It's on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I think it's that. Honestly, it's that concept of infinity, because Ooh. that that I that I shared with everybody. Yeah. That that came to me, um, in in at the university, and I wish I'd known that in high school. Cool. <laughs> I do. I think it would change the trajectory of my life. Oh. What in, in what way? In what way might it change the trajectory of life? This is not quick fire anymore. Uh, I probably would have been an engineer or an architect. Okay. Next question. What sweet treat is your go-to? <laughs> oh, I don't eat sweets. Um, the, my sugar is wine. Sugar wine. <laughs> Red wine. I can sugar. I, I can live with that. That's, my, that's mine at the moment. In, uh, in lockdown, we're in lockdown. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah. I got into a habit of wine every, wine or gin mm -hmm. every night. Mm -hmm. I'm weaning myself mm -hmm. off slowly. Right, <laughs> any any book that has changed your life that is not academic? Oh, any book that's changed my life <sighs> that's not academic. Um, yeah, I read a lot of fiction. Um, I would say, I mean, there's so many. Let me think of one that I've read recently. Um, Eric Larson's um, Garden of the Beasts. Ooh, what's that about? It's like a historical fiction, um, but it's about, he wrote Devil in the White City. That's what he's known for, but all his books are historical fiction, but it's about the rise of Hitler. And um, it was just felt really timely with US politics in the last four years. <laughs> so, I probably read it about five years ago um, and it just felt really timely and it gave me a lot of insight into our political circumstances. So you don't go for light fiction with some escapism then? <laughs> I do. I, I, oh, I read romance. Oh, I for know. sure. But romance hasn't changed my life. <laughs> no. You know, it's just like a quick read. <laughs> um, and, and there are a lot of other books, but that you're saying change your life. Yeah, that one. Um, you know, there's, I, you know, I have a, a lot of female authors through women's studies, but, you know, that one was really profound that, that my family is Austrian. I'm a dual citizen. Ah. So there's a, a lot of that history that, with my parents have and it's not quick rapid fire anymore but but with my parents passing so young like i like they they grew up in post-world war ii vienna 
uh, and like I, w- I have questions for them, you know, <laughs> I want to talk to them, but I don't have them anymore. So I, like I, that book was really good mm. for me also just as generational um, yeah. you know, inquiry. Have you got family around there at all still? I have an aunt in Switzerland who I saw right before the lockdown in Surrey. For right the, that the for, for the first time? Um, no, just for the first oh. time in 10 years or oh, okay. something. I haven't seen her in a long time. Yeah. And then any so, quote or mantra that you that you really resonate with that is reoccurring? Uh, yeah, it's a quote. It's an Einstein quote. Um, the only reason for time is so that everything doesn't happen at once. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we'll leave it. Like we need time. <laughs> We'll leave it on that. And right, what do you want people to know about you or books or social media or website and the like? Um, I've got so many online offerings. It's out of control. So <laughs> take your pick. <laughs> Just go to my website. I've got so many choices. Everything from book clubs to short webinars to three-day courses to teacher trainings to mentoring programs. So there's just it's almost overwhelming how much there is to choose from. And your website is jewelsyoga.com, is it? Jules Mitchell. Jules Yeah, my social handles are Jules Yoga. Jules Yoga. My, my website is jewelsmitchell.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute treat. We should have seen Thanks each other when? Me. We should have seen each other in August, shouldn't we? I know. Hopefully, hopefully I'll see you this August. August. Fingers I crossed. Don't know. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Honestly, I'm balanced.